Airbnb and VRBO are just another online travel agency. Airbnb is just the biggest one. It's sort of what put short-term rentals on the map recently in the last like 10 years. You don't want your property to exclusively live on one of these sites because they have complete control over your business at that point. So I, I always like to tell my students, like you want to be looking at Airbnb and VRBO. Those platforms are great. Don't get me wrong. Same thing with booking.com and all other local ones. But you want to look at the online travel agencies like Airbnb as like a marketing arm to your business. And it's not where your property should live at. So what we do is we have a little disc called a service called StayFi. It's a little disc that plugs into the back of a router and it essentially creates a landing page for your property. You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. Alex, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. We like to start with the difficult questions here. What's your favorite ice cream? I love just plain vanilla chocolate chip cookie like sandwiches, essentially. Yeah. Just so the sandwiches, the cookie sandwiches. Yeah, the vanilla chocolate chip cookie sandwiches. That's like my favorite ice cream, if you want to say that. Love yeah, it. yeah. Love it. Yeah. You're joining us from Asheville, and I figure Asheville has all of these unique ice cream shops. Is there any place in Asheville we need to check out if we're in town? Oh, Sunshine Sammy's is one of my favorites. They make like special ice cream sandwiches. And it's funny because they have like their own shop and then they have like almost a food truck, but the food truck is also an ice cream truck. And when my wife and I moved to our new house, that ice cream truck came through. And it was so funny seeing like almost half of the people in our neighborhood don't have kids. And you just see all these adults just emerge yeah. from their houses to get ice cream sandwiches. But yeah, Sunshine Sammy's is one of my favorites. As Gary say, I'd be pushing my way to the front if I heard that thing right now. Yeah, yeah. It was just so funny seeing like everyone come out of their houses yeah. and stuff. No kids. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, listeners. What's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah. So today I'm a short-term rental developer, manager, coach. We develop unique, I like to say Instagrammable short-term rentals where the short-term rental is an experience outside of the city that the guest is visiting is the short answer to that. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was super excited to have you on the show because you're the first person I've had to talk through the development of short-term rentals. I've had developers on the show, but not specifically for short-term. So before we get into that, take us back to where your real estate journey began though. Yeah. So I started, I was originally in the Marine Corps for, I served four and a half years. My last year in the Marine Corps, I had decided that I didn't want to re-enlist. I was stationed in Washington, DC, a part of the honor guard there. Really cool assignment. I had a phenomenal time in my military. I love my military experience, but I just felt like I wanted to do something a little bit more outside of the military. So my last year, I just really picked up a lot of different books, watched a whole bunch of YouTube channels, books on real estate investing, general business principles, leadership, anything that was like, I knew I wanted to work for myself. I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And real estate really had caught my eye just because I enjoyed the just the control that you have over real estate with forced appreciation and just increasing the value that way. And so I'd originally joined a flipping mentorship. I was actually on a like a group coaching call with the guy who ran the flipping mentorship. And he had just in passing had just mentioned like, all of my long-term wealth is tied into short-term rentals is what he said. And this is back in like 15, 2015, 16. So that like really intrigued me. So I got him on a one-on-one -on -one call and I was like, I'm interested in the flipping, but I'm way more interested in the short-term rental stuff. So he was very open with his numbers and he had just showed me how much better even back then the short-term rentals were doing than his long-term rentals that he had. So he helped me and taught me how to choose a market, a good short-term rental market. 
and we had pinned Asheville, North Carolina. And then literally the day I got out of the military, I moved to here. And then I got my real estate license when I first moved here. And then I just started looking for a short-term rental. What I realized was everything was either way out of my price range or it was in my price range, but it just wouldn't have done well as a short-term rental. So after like six to, I want to say six to eight months of looking, I was fed up and I was like, screw it. I'm just going to build my very first short-term rental. So my very first real estate investment was a ground up development A-frame that we like, yeah, that we own to this day. So (laughs) it was an 800 square foot A-frame. One turned into two really quickly, two turned into four. We brought on some investor capital. And then today we're developing over $10 million in short-term rentals. I'm hoping to triple that next year. Nice. Had you ever been to Asheville before? I came here once on a, like a job interview, like just to just, it was like a personal training job interview just to do something part-time while I was getting my real estate license. But besides that, I had never come here before. Like after deciding to move here is when I came here for the first time. That's yeah. uh, that's gutsy, man. They say, follow your dreams. You picked up and moved your entire life to a place you've yeah, really like, never just, been. Just, yeah, no, I definitely do it again just because, yeah, I was, I was in a really interesting period in my life where I was like going to school online and I had the flexibility to move around and stuff. Now, you often don't know what you don't know until you get in the thick of things. And I personally have never done a development because I feel like there's just a lot of moving pieces what do you wish you would have learned before you did your first development that you figured yeah. out during the process? Yeah, that's a phenomenal question. And that is real estate development. Like you don't know what you don't know. And when I first started, there weren't really any books or resources out there when it came to, there were barely any books out the short-term mm-hmm. rentals, let alone short-term rental development or any type of development. The number one thing that I learned that I wish I would have known now was just like really leaning on a good real estate agent that knows land investing. And so I I use a real estate agent that's really good with land and just really good overall. And I'm still licensed in my state. So just finding a good land real estate agent. And then number two, just finding a GC that is willing to work with you. When I say willing to work with you, coming out with you, because I'm born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, where everything is flat, at least where I grew up, everything was flat. And I'm not so much in in Nashville. Yeah, no, not so much in Asheville. So working with someone that has the eye to tell you, okay, you can develop here, you can develop there. This is going to be a terrible spot for it. That's crucial. And what I like to say to that is for people who don't have that person in their lives right now, whether it be GC or real estate agent, your real estate agent can help you with that as well. Figuring out a development plan is you want to be thinking about the entire guest experience. So it doesn't just mean the stay at the property. You want to be thinking about the drive to and from the property, what that drive looks like and what it feels like. What I like to say is you don't like your, you don't want your guests to be driving like 30 minutes up a gravel road before they even get to your property. A lot of times the guest is coming in at night. A lot of times they're new to the area. Sometimes their cell phone reception is going to cut out. You don't want them to be like scared or annoyed by the time they even get to your property. So to answer your original question, I would think of the drive to and from the property being one of the most important things to like to the guest because that we get that question constantly is what does this drive look like to the property and if it's like the property might look really cool in the mls until you actually get out there and get boots on the ground yeah and if you're a listener and never been to Asheville, i equate it to gatlinburg gatlinburg you are literally going up mountains on gravel roads yeah it's an awful experience sometimes it's a little milder but it can still get pretty steep depending on where you're developing Yeah. You mentioned having a real estate agent that focuses more on land. What does a good land real estate agent look like? Yeah, they're going to understand the zoning. They're going to understand the zoning and then they're going to have the context 
of who to contact in the zoning and planning department. Sometimes they're the same department in the county. They're going to know those people. Hopefully the, the people in the planning department know your real estate agent because that's been key because the real estate is a relationship-based business. No, no matter which way you think of it, like on the acquisition and disposition side, it is a relationship business. So that the agent understanding the zoning laws in the area, what you can and can't do is, is key. You can learn those yourself, but just having a second set of eyes really helps there. Yeah. Is there anything underneath the ground in Nashville too? Like here in Nashville, Tennessee, like we can't build basements because there's limestone underneath the ground here. Is there anything yeah. funky about that too? Yeah. Radon levels are really high in this area. So you don't dig into the ground and outside of a foundation. And then you can put in like your own like radon mitigation systems. But the only basements that exist in this area are going to be basements that are like walkout basements. So yeah, that's key. And it's just crazy rocky in this area. You never know, like just digging foundations, you can hit rock and that just things get crazy expensive after that. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned you moved to Asheville because you picked it on a map as a good place to invest in short-term rentals and start your business there. What makes a good area that you look for in terms of short-term rental? So if I were to do it again, and I didn't have the flexibility to move, because whenever you read any type of real estate book, it says like start in your backyard. And that's true with the way we develop these properties to a point. So if I wasn't in the military and I was just like just living where I was born and raised in Detroit, what I like to tell people is you want to think of a, a city and there's hundreds of these pocket markets throughout the country. But you want to be thinking about a city where people are taking an extended weekend vacation to in your city. So like a place that's an hour or two up to three hours away from you. I would start with like an hour if you're new to like development. But think of a place that people are taking extended weekend vacation to in your city. And you're going to know that market better than anyone. So that that's how I choose. That's how I tell students to choose like the students that I coach when they're like, well, this isn't going to work in like a metro area. And that's right. The land's going to be crazy expensive. And the type of properties we're developing aren't going to fit in that landscape anyways. But think of an area that people are vacationing to that's about an hour to three hours away. I like to use the two extreme examples of the East Coast. You have New York City. People drive to upstate New York every weekend to stay up there. Huge short-term rental markets in upstate New York. And then you on the other side, you have San Diego. People drive up to Big Bear Lake, Northern California all the time on the weekend. So th- that's what I like to say to that is think of markets that are that people are traveling to in your area and then look at land prices, look at zoning laws from there. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned like closer to home. A lot of the short-term rental experts that I've talked to in the past all talk through, don't go to Branson, Missouri, because that's the place where everybody's going or Gatlinburg, Tennessee, because you lived on the West coast and you heard it's great because you don't know the intricacies. Yeah, Yeah. I was at the bigger pockets conference in 2021 and they had done their first short-term rental panel for like the just the professionals that were in short-term rentals. And that room had like maybe five, 600 people in it. And three out of the five keynotes in that panel had mentioned Gatlinburg and yeah. I, you could, I was standing in the back and you could literally see people like pulling up on Zillow and like scrolling through and I'm like, yeah, great. The price just went up by half a million in that area just because of that. Yep. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> yeah, I love yeah, Gatlinburg. Yeah. I used to go there as a kid. Oh, but, absolutely. Uh, there's some intricacies behind that market. I'll just put it that way. Yeah. And it's definitely gotten way more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. A few minutes ago, you just mentioned the types of property you develop. What are the types of property you, you develop? So here in the mountains, Tree houses, A-frames, log cabins, cottages, chalets tend to do really well. What I like to say to people who are in like mountain wooded type areas is the best way to find out what's going to do well in your area is just hop on Airbnb's website. 
hop on Airbnb's website, put your city that you're considering investing in, and then see what the, Airbnb is going to feed you the top properties in your market. And then just model your properties based off of that. There's nothing wrong with having a duplicate of a property in your market or something that's similar. It's not going to matter. When I first started here, that very first A-frame like four or five years ago, that was the only A-frame on the short-term rental market. And now there's 20 of them, but it hasn't affected my occupancy in any way. Yeah. So mostly A-frames is what you're developing. Yeah, A-frames yeah. and log cabins are the two big ones. And then we're actually building like 10 tree houses next year, but we haven't finalized plans on those yet. They're, are they actually they're, in they're, trees they're, or they're, on these stilts? Yeah, they're houses on stilts. Yeah, houses yeah. on stilts surrounded by trees. You can't get financing if you're going to pin a house to a tree. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're still up in the air. You're giving them that yeah, Instagramable yeah, exactly. experience. Yeah. So I've heard you talk a little bit about platform risk and maybe working with your guests in terms of trying to also help develop a direct booking channel. First of all, could you help us understand one, what is platform risk? And then two, how are you pulling your guest offline from these platforms? Yeah. So th this is one of my favorite topics to talk about right now, especially with us going through this current correction. You want to look at air the OTA. So the OTAs is the online travel agencies. Airbnb and VRBO are just another online travel agency. Airbnb is just the biggest one, and it's what put short-term rentals on the map recently in the last 10 years. You don't want your property to exclusively live on one of these sites because they have complete control over your business at that point. So I always like to tell my students, like you, you want to be looking at Airbnb and VRBO. Th those platforms are great. Don't get me wrong. Same thing with Booking.com and all the all other local ones. But you want to look at the online travel agencies like Airbnb as like a marketing arm to your business. It's not where your property should live at. So what we do is we have a little disc called, it's a service called StayFi. It's a little disc that plugs into the back of a router and it essentially creates a landing page for your property. So instead of just getting, so we have a property that can sleep 14 people. Instead of just getting the contact info of the one person that's booking the property, Every person that comes through our property, we get their phone number, we get their email address and first and last name. That also protects us. We've never had any complaints about anything like something like that with our guests. It's just like we're so used to it now going to like Starbucks or the airport, like you're putting in your information to get access to the internet. It's the same thing there. And then from there, capture their email, it gets aggregated. And then we we're going to be shooting out like seasonal emails. And then you can stop there and just essentially just remarket it using Airbnb and VRBO. We're taking it a stop for, step further and building out our own own direct booking platform where it's like similar to Airbnb, but it's just, it's just our website with like our curated properties on them. That way people can book directly with us. And also that way, so we can completely have, we have complete control over our guest experience. We're not, Airbnb does two big updates every single year. They do their summer update and their winter update. And usually the first three, two to four weeks after that, we're like, thrown for a bit of a whirl, especially this year, they did some massive like renovations to their website. And so that just allows us to get complete control over our guest by building out a direct booking site and controlling our guest. Did the, so the change that you're referencing changed it to experiences from what I saw as a novice user of yeah, Airbnb. Yeah. Did it that did actually help, help us? Yeah. yeah I was going to yeah, ask, did, did that yeah. help drive? Attention it, to it, it did help us for sure, but I do some coaching on the rental arbitrage side and did hurt some of those students that were working at that, working specifically on that. So that's what, um, yeah, it did help us. But at the same time, it's like I've gotten in trouble with Airbnb for things that a guest had lied about on our property and then they delisted our property for a week or two. So it's I'd only lost like maybe $1,500, $2,000 but we're going to have like close to 40 properties next year. That would have been 40 to 50, 40 to 60 grand that I would have lost if I didn't like, just because it was on Airbnb on something that a guest lied about. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. So I'm in technology today. So I'm always looking for technology tools and tech stacks yeah, yeah. and things like that. How are you planning on tying a Airbnb calendar to your direct booking calendar? Is there some kind of API in the background yeah. or something like that? Yeah, what are so you doing there? The service that we just started using, I was using Hospitable for a while, but the Hostfully has a direct API integration with Airbnb VRBO and the direct booking site that we're building. We use a company called Boostly, Mark Simpson, the face of Boostly, or he's the owner of Boostly, but he's the face of Boostly. He's written some phenomenal books on direct bookings, but his company's building our direct booking site. And then we're using Hostfully to do a direct API integration with that. I believe, like I said, I believe Hostfully is the only one that has a direct API integration with all the platforms. Nice. Second question is who owns StayFi and how do we start becoming an owner in it? Yeah, yeah. He, they're actually raising money right now. Right. Uh, Arthur Coltler, Cochlear, he's a young, he's a young dude. I think he's in his early 20s, mid 20s. He's a, we've talked before, but yeah, no, it's a phenomenal platform. And I think this year they just launched, we were using MailChimp to collect all of our emails, but now they're, I think now they have their own like website marketing, like side to the business, which is key, which is awesome because you can specifically work or they can recommend people that specifically work in short-term rentals, like to put your marketing, like creatives together and stuff. Nice. Nice. And you're yeah. building that out or do you, have you seen some success? No, with uh, Stay, so we're building that out right now, but StayFi handles most, most of that work. Another thing we started doing, we can talk about too, is like influencer marketing with our property. Yeah, please. Yeah. I think this is, I've got some opinions on it, but I want to hear what you're doing there. Yeah, so we use Stayamo. So Stayamo is a company created by his name is Jason. He actually just stayed at one of our properties, but they essentially the, everything's vetted. It's not like Airbnb where you can just post any property you want and it's approved. Both the owners and the influencers are vetted. But using influencer marketing has been a really cool experiment because. If you have one property and you look at your entire calendar, I look at my days as inventory. So like I have 365 days. That's my inventory. We know our average daily stay is anywhere between three to four days. Say it's three days on the short side. That's 120 guests I need to bring through a specific property. Team up with a really cool like Instagram influencer that has a really good following that's similar to say like your guest avatar for that property. And they have 250,000 followers over here and they have good engagement. Those numbers just, they don't match in any way. It's like you have 250,000 people here that are going to be seeing a property that has only needs 120 guests. So it's like, that's been really key. We've been playing around with that recently. We're doing a, we're purchasing seven properties in the middle of January of 2023. And we're doing a very big push with influencers on that. That's like one of our big, that's one of our big strategies with that specific property. But yeah, it's been, it's been fun playing around with that. Cause it's like, you'll see influencers like selling this water bottle. It's like, what's the yeah. difference with them just selling a property? You can yeah. buy millions of this water bottle, but you only have a specific inventory for your properties. So I love it from the exposure standpoint. And I want you to check me here and let's have this conversation. Absolutely. But let's I think if you're going to do short-term rentals, first and foremost, you need to nail the experience and nail the operations behind it. What you can't have is some sort of influencer out there that's driving attendance to your properties and it's a terrible experience or you don't have your oh, operations smoothed out. And the second thing I would say about that is people start businesses and build businesses around an influencer saying that, oh, Logan Paul talks to this person or this yep. person is my avatar niche. And then that influencer will back out at the last minute and you've spent all this time trying to build this momentum. So my uh, long-winded way of saying, I think if you're interested in this strategy, it's a great strategy with tons of exposure. But first and foremost, make sure your experience, your home and your operations are very solid. Yeah. And it's the same thing of what we talked about with like Airbnb, VRBO. 
like there shouldn't just be one strategy. We, we will never stop like marketing on Airbnb and VRBO. That's where the eyeballs are at. It's the same thing with like marketing with Google, YouTube, Facebook, like that's where the eyeballs are at. So it's like influencer marketing should not just be your one strategy you're using for any part of your short-term rental business, but you're hundred percent right with the, yeah, make sure your operations are solid. Make sure you have the right cleaning crew in place. Make sure you have the right messaging, automated messaging, and then systems before you scale that quickly. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You're a bit unique in terms of the guests we've had on the show in the sense of your educational background. So you have a degree in entrepreneurship, if I'm not mistaken, a master's in an MBA, and also a PhD. And all of those are entrepreneurial real estate related. So first and foremost, talk us, why did you decide to go down the educational path from an entrepreneur standpoint? And then second, what has that given you insight into running your business and was it worth it or not? Yeah. So the undergrad, I was mainly done with most of my undergrad by the time I got out of the military and then my GI bill was just there to use. So I felt like I was going to be wasting it if I didn't use it. My, I, my mom's been a teacher for 30, 40 years. So it's just in my blood. I was I had a big teaching role in the Marine Corps as well. Like I was always in an instructor role. So I, I read a lot of books, like I said, but I wanted to see what that side looked like. I saw my mom, it took her like she, she it took her like 10 years to get her bachelor's degree because she just did it part-time. So I grew up in a library and it was, I was interested to see what the differences would be than like reading about real estate compared to actually learning about it through a university. So like my MBA has a concentration in real estate development. And the coolest thing that I learned about my MBA was just like, there isn't too much like real estate development stuff out there, like I said, but there's a lot of textbooks out there. So I still read a lot of like books you can get on Amazon and stuff. But what I, what's a really cool hack that you can do, depending on what business you're in, is like picking up textbooks. You don't have to actually join the program, join the MBA, join the doctorate undergrad. You can find out what like the degree completion plan of a like a degree is and then just choose the books that are in that degree completion plan and you can just purchase those textbooks on Amazon. So that's been the coolest thing is like I learned a lot about real estate development through the textbooks that I picked up just in my MBA. And I've taken that with me in like other topics that interest me, whether it be like outside or real estate, like I'll pick up textbooks specifically written on those topics because those are going to be like peer reviewed, researched textbooks that like people have been challenged on. It's not just something that a publisher put together. Yeah. So basically what I'm hearing is you like your reading material very dry. Yeah. Terrible. It's freaking <laughs> terrible. I love listening to books and there's no audiobooks on textbooks. So yeah. I don't read these. I don't read these books on a normal basis, maybe two or three a year compared to the 50 or 60 like business books I'm listening to. Yeah. No, they're terribly dry. Yeah. 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 No, I smiled a little bit when you said you grew up in a library because my mom got her PhD when I was really young. And some of my earliest memories were going to the library at Virginia Tech where she got her PhD and just sitting there before the internet or all of that. She yeah. was literally going to the Dewey Decimal System, bringing back a stack of books and like trying to find the research material she needed. Yeah. It used to drive my mom crazy too, because I wasn't a good student. So it's like, you're living, you're, I'm dropping you off and staying in a library for three, four hours and you're still doing terrible on your homework or whatever. What is it? You can lead a horse to water or something like that. Yeah, exactly. So switching from textbooks to now you have a YouTube channel. I want to give you an opportunity to talk to us a little bit about the YouTube channel and that journey that's been for you. Yeah, man. So I started that about a year and a half ago. I didn't really do too much with it. I was posting once a week for three, four months, but recently I've been doing like three days a week, but I essentially sat down and I was like, there was like one YouTube channel out there that really helped me get to where I am now, like on the development side. But 
I essentially sat down. I was like, I'm already driving out to my properties, like on a weekly basis to check up on my development projects, check up on the project that I'm managing or my company's managing. And I was like, I'm just going to bring my camera with me. And we just started doing that recently in the last month. But I sat down, I was like, what's the YouTube channel that you wish you had when you first started? And that's what sort of, that's what determines what I'm posting on the YouTube channels. And especially if like I come up with something new or I'm challenged with something in my business. Like I like to talk about it on the YouTube channel because if I'm going through it, I guarantee some other host is going to be going through it or some other potential host is going to be going through it. Yeah. Can you plug the YouTube channel name real quick? Mine's is Alex Builds. I can totally relate with this idea of what you're going through and you feel like the need to talk through it. I started this podcast just because I loved learning about real estate and then the opportunity to connect with other people who are doing totally different things than I ever know about gives me an opportunity to learn about it as well. And I think it'd be cool 40 years from now to look back at your phase of life, what you were learning through and going through and all those sorts yeah. of things. Some people start YouTube channels and podcasts because they want to become famous. Other people are just following an inquisitive journey and a no- think- seeking knowledge, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it's crazy. Whoever goes down that path, whether it be YouTube or just whatever, it's crazy. Like I'll put together a video that got edited or something and I'll be watching. I'm like, oh, that's like, that doesn't sound good. That's terrible. And then like recently I started rewatching some of my original videos. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like what I sounded like compared to just like now, just a year and a half later. Oh yeah. My first podcast, the audio is unbearably listenable. I can't, I can't gut wrenching. It's like terrible trying to listen to stuff like that or watch stuff like that. It's so embarrassing, Yeah. Yeah. but you leave it out there. You're like, that's where I started. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And I think hopefully it gives other people encouragement too. like, you don't have to be perfect to get going and getting going will build momentum regardless of where stage you're at or what you're trying to accomplish in your life. Yeah. You're going to make mistakes. No one journey is the same. Even if you're following someone's journey, your journey is going to be a little bit different. So you're going to be challenged with things that you don't weren't even thinking about. That's it. Alex, I want to switch us now to our last round. We're calling this the five toppings. Our first one is what is your favorite book or what is a book that you've read recently? And I will give it a asterisk and say, please don't name a textbook. Yeah. yeah. Creature from Jekyll Island is one of the best books I've ever read. Just a, a book on the, the history of the Federal Reserve and how our banking system works. I picked it up thinking it was a conspiracy book. And then there's like a hundred pages of like references in the back. So it is a textbook. So I did break that rule there, I, but it, you can, it's a book that's been recommended by every real estate professional I've talked to that's done anything in real estate. Yeah, I definitely have read it. And uh, you picked a book just about as dry as a textbook. But I will say it's very interesting to learn about the history because I'm in Nashville and Andrew Jackson obviously had he's plays a central role in the book. I won't spoil it for anybody. But also you start seeing the world just a little bit different when you read that kind of a textbook. If you don't mind me asking, when did you read the book? Was it prior to COVID? No, it was right in the middle of COVID. I think it was yeah, 2021. So right I'd read it in 2018 and it was really cool to see how like we printed money during COVID and essentially everything that book talked about, like just the history essentially played out again. Yeah. 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 And we're and dealing with it right now with higher interest rates and inflation and everything. It's just the book details that. Yeah. yeah. Wasn't he a University of Michigan grad or professor or something like that. I'll have to look at the book again to see. I don't know. It's very interesting. I gotcha. I'm trying to tie you in Detroit and some author that I can't even remember the name of right Right. now. Our second one is, I believe that the person you become 10 years from now is directly correlated to the habits that you have and the routines that you have. What are some of the habits or routines that you have? 
So I picked this up in the military. It's called something different in the military, but doing the Wim Hof breathing techniques in the morning have completely set me up for the rest of the day. Even if it's just one round of like heavy breathing in the morning, followed by breath holds, that's taught in the military. And then I had gone up for the special forces when I was in the Marine Corps where they, it's called box breathing or military breathing on that. But in short, it's the Wim Hof technique just on the breathing. I don't do the cold showers, just the breathing. So I know the box method, but is the Wim Hof the same? It's a little different. It's purging. So you're like taking very fast breaths, like 30 breaths in a round and then holding your breath. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That's something I need to work on. I find myself holding my breath a lot, specifically when I'm talking. So I'm going to have to. I've seen it's been like a jolt in the morning. I still drink coffee in the morning, but I compare it to the effects of coffee for a couple hours after. Interesting. Interesting. Our third one is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever... I'd actually read it. It's a quote. It's, the quality of your life can usually be determined by the number of uncomfortable conversations he or she is willing to have. I'm introverted by nature, or at least I used to be introverted. And I always go back to that quote, especially in real estate when it comes to like renegotiations or negotiations. It's like very uncomfortable conversations sometimes, but that that quote has always helped me with that. (laughs) Yeah. That's the only way you grow and get better. Yep. Our fourth one is, what's the thing you're most proud of in your life? Yeah, it's going to sound weird. I have a Guinness World Record right there. Yeah, so I of, read that. Yeah, out of all my like my degrees, I all my I used to race like running races, marathons, half marathons in DC. Out of all those, I'm most proud of that. And I guess you can put that under my professional life. But yeah, it's a good talking thing. Don't bury the lead. What's the Guinness Book? <laughs> what is the record? Yeah, so it's the furthest distance to roll a coin. I actually did it here. The cert says Asheville. When I was a kid, I used to just go through the Guinness World Record book. I feel like all of us did at one point. And uh, I had a lot of free time after I got out of the military. I was used to working like 60 to 90 hours, 100 hour work weeks sometimes. I wouldn't even call them work weeks. It was just like, that was my life was like, I was a Marine. So like... When I came out, I did. I was used to a certain tempo of working and I just lost my mind for the first year because it just slowed down significantly with work. So I I was like, okay, like what's the one thing that you've wanted to do for since you were a kid? I was like, I would love to break a Guinness World Record. And so I just went on their website and I saw, I was like, what's the easiest thing I can do? And I was like, and I saw that and it took six months. I had a couple of friends record it for me. I didn't have someone come out. I like, we all recorded it with our own like phones and then sent it in and then they like accepted it. It took like, a, again, it was like a six month process, but I did it. At, I was working part-time at a gym at that time. So I waited for the gym to close. I knew the person who was closing the gym at that time. And then it, they, the gym had a long stretch of like concrete, like that spanned the entire the gym. And I just took a half dollar and just like whipped it as hard as I could. I was very surprised they actually approved the video because it was like janky, like quality and stuff. How far was it? It wasn't that far. You can Google it. 24.1 meters. I've had friends tried to break it before to, just to annoy me, which yeah. I wouldn't care. But it's like, I've had friends like, tell you, I'm going to break your record and not tell you about it. I was like, do it. I, just, I have the cert. That's all I want. <laughs> yeah. Game on, Alex. Game on. Yeah, exactly. Do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're also a magician. So any cool tips there? Yeah. My mom got me into magic because I was very introverted as a kid. And it now it just turns into it's turned into a networking thing. Like I just yeah. do it at networking lunches and stuff. It's like a really cool like icebreaker. I don't start with that. I don't be like, oh, you want to yeah. see a magic trick? But it's like if the conversation comes up, I'll start doing stuff. And it's something to just like for people to remember me by compared to just like getting a business card or something. 
Yeah, we'll get ready. Once we end this, I want to see a magic trick. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> All right. Our last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Steve Schwartzman, the founder of Blackstone. He's I had he had came out with his own book on I guess tenants for life and stuff, but I've been following him ever since I read The Creature from Jekyll Island. He's not mentioned in the book, but when you think of the biggest companies in the world, Blackstone, BlackRock is up there. So it's yeah. cool to there are other companies that are bigger than that, but they're um their heads are like the face of the company is not headed like front and center the way Steve Schwartzman is. Yeah. And the beneficiary of a huge Cantillion effect. Did that Cantillion yeah, yeah. effect? A huge benefiter of it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Do you know what the Cantillion effect is? I think I might be right here, but essentially the theory is that the closer you are to the spigot, the wealthier you'll become. So when the Fed goes out there and prints a bunch of money, the people that are closest to the spigot where it's getting printed off asset managers and banks are going to be the people that benefit the most. And the people that are furthest away from the spigot, usually poor people are the people that get affected the least, their least benefits. Yeah. It's interesting. His book, Cash is King, which is like uh, someone wrote that book, not for him, just about his company. It, there's a big time gap in there where it's you're like, where did all that money just come from? You're like, it just happened. Yeah. yeah. Be interesting looking back 20, 30 years if there's books written on that company, what actually comes from that. Alex, this has been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate you coming on. If our listeners wanted to learn more about you, check out some of the mentoring programs or even learn about the fun that you've got going on, where's the best place we could point them? Best place, honestly, if you guys are interested in doing what I do is just my YouTube channel. If you guys are interested in the course, the YouTube channel mentions the course and some of the videos. You guys can check out my my personal site, which is alexjarbo.com. That, that is where all my previous podcasts live. That is where my course lives. If you guys are interested in signing for that, signing up for that. And then if you guys are interested in investing with us, I don't actively raise capital anymore, but I've teamed up with a fund out of Michigan that raises the money and places the money for the deals that I work on. Just reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn if you guys are interested in investing in that. We're doing the capital raise. It's probably only going to be a week because we don't really need that much, but it's going to be from January 2nd to about January 9th. So just if that comes out before then, or if this podcast episode comes out before then, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Awesome. Alex, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, man. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.